bringing you a whole lot of hooting today. There's some hollering, you know, a limited amount of hollering. There's, it's, it's in the show title, so by law, it must happen. But today was today's just going to be a whole lot of hooting. Because I got with me uh, Eunice Elliott. She's a comedian. She's an author. She's an actress. She's a speaker. She's also, there's, she's a journalist. There's, there are, she is a gazillion different things. I could, I could, I could read the whole list and that would be the podcast in itself. She's a very talented, extremely funny lady. And it is an honor to have her on the show today. Uh, a little bit about her. Uh, right now she's currently teaching uh, stand-up classes over at the uh, Stardom Comedy Club in Birmingham. Uh, also her children's book, her first children's book is out now. You can check it out on Amazon or go to her website. Uh, it is so much love to give. And that is from her Sugar Loves Bella series of books. It's about her dogs. And it is, it's a fantastic book and it is beautifully illustrated and it, it's great. Uh, you, uh, if you're familiar with some of the things that I do on It's a Southern Thing, then you have seen Eunice because she has been in several of our sketches now. The very first one, which we talk about, is the uh, episode, The Slaw and Order Southern Vittles Unit, which is a, it's a popular episode from like a year and a half ago. She plays the police chief in that one. That was her first appearance. And we've had her back a bunch since then. She's in a lot of the Things Southerners Say videos uh, that we do. Uh, she's been in, in several sketches, and she's written some sketches here lately, too, because she's that talented. She she can do it all. I mean, we really we really should spend some time today figuring out what Eunice Elliott can't do. But I'm excited to do some hooting and hollering with Eunice Elliott. All right, Eunice. Uh, Eunice Elliott, thank you so much for uh, joining me here on uh, hooting and hollering. I love to hoot, and I love to holler, and I love you. So this is like, it's almost my birthday. <laughs> Not really, but you know, same energy, birthday energy. What do you love doing more, hooting or hollering? <sighs> probably hooting. Uh, probably hollering. Uh, you know, probably a good combination. That's fair. Is it, there is yeah. a time to hoot and there is a time to holler. There is a time to hoot and a time to holler. You said that. That should be, <laughs> that should be a scripture. I'm, I'm going to put that on a t shirt and probably sell it later. <laughs> yeah, that, that's even better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, so, uh, we uh we've we've known each other now for a little bit you've been doing some work with us on it's a southern thing i mean going back to your first appearance was in the slaw and order southern vittles unit sketch where you yes. played the the police chief yes did, did a fantastic job uh in that, that was so much fun that was so much fun and um you know the bigger story of that is it helped me transition into a whole new career doing that one sketch with you guys because i got in trouble at work <laughs> and, yeah i don't work there anymore now we so felt thanks, so, guys. yeah, I'm very sorry about that. Um, but it's been for the better, right? Yes, yes. No, it, it actually did from going from being a news anchor to doing that fun sketch for you guys. And I did get in trouble at work and then it came down to, but I had more fun doing that, you know, three minute video. And so I'm out here doing more things for you guys. So it definitely worked out for the best. I mean, doing this kind of stuff for a living, we're, we're going to get in trouble at work a lot. I mean, why wouldn't you? I think to be able to make people laugh or think or smile or even just escape for a minute, it's why I do stand up. The sketches are wonderful. It's easy to share. Uh, it makes you feel like you did some good work at the end of the day. You didn't cure cancer, but you made somebody laugh. So second best thing. <laughs> I mean, I put myself right up there next to cancer research. Yeah, I was like, wow, number two ranking is really good. I was putting yeah. this like 175th. Uh... I mean, no, number two. 
so uh, you are originally from Bessemer. I am. Um, but uh, I mean, you went to college at the University of Alabama. You uh, okay. you're living and working in Birmingham and around the area now. Uh, have you have you lived in Alabama your entire life? I have not. I graduated from the University of Alabama. A week after graduation, I moved to Bristol, Connecticut to take a job at the Worldwide Leader in Sports, ESPN. I was there for about two and a half years. Then I moved to Nashville, Tennessee to work for the Tennessee Titans. And then I moved to Atlanta to work for the Atlanta Convention and Visitors Bureau. And then I moved to Miami to work for the Orange Bowl Committee. Then I moved back to Atlanta and worked for a sports agent, Pat Dye Jr., whose dad used to coach at Auburn. And then I lived in Atlanta for a while. Then I moved back to Birmingham. And then I moved back to Atlanta and then I moved back to Birmingham. I am. Yeah. So you're <laughs> very familiar with I-20. Yeah. Yeah. I know I-20 very well. You know, all the good stops on I-20. And I still have a 404 phone number. So between Atlanta and Birmingham, I live somewhere in between. I still have my, from going to college in Mobile, my mobile number. Uh, it's just a hassle to change numbers, you know? See, now I think that was like a young person's flex because we didn't have. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Well, now it's a, well, I remember that because I would get, I, I got back up here and, you know, you'd be giving your number for something and they're like, 251, what, what is that? And I was like, oh, that's Mobile. I used to. Oh used yeah. To so that, that just told me your age. Okay. So when I went to college from Bessemer to Tuscaloosa, about a 45 minute drive, there weren't cell phones. People had car phones or you had the bag phone. Yeah. Back then. My mom sent me to college to be safe with a CB radio. Oh, like, Plug into the lighter breaker breaker one nine type. Smoking the bandit out there. Okay, yes, yes. <laughs> so when you say, "Oh, I still have my number from college," I'm like, "Oh, this is a young person's flex." <laughs> uh, it, yeah, that is. But well, I graduated college in the 1900s. <laughs> I, I I do remember the the car phones back phone. My grandma had one, <laughs> and uh, I remember grandma? wearing. <laughs> well, my parents could have had one, but grandma, I don't know. I don't know how grandma afforded that on a social security check, but she had one and it sat in the forerunner. I remember right at the front and we were, I would get in trouble for looking at it. I mean, grandma could just tell, like, oh, I'm, looking, I'm looking at a thing about if I can make my move to touch it. I don't think she ever used that thing. She just had it. Listen, that bag phone, that car, first you had the bag phone, then you had cars that came with the phone in the console. I mean, that was big deal big pimp and living back then yeah it was that was uh that was big for grandma i don't know why she had it i don't know how much she was paying for it each month but that was a tremendous waste <laughs> of money well she was paying for that she had a house phone oh uh, yeah you know, we used to have landlines fax machine she probably had yeah. a fax machine you young too. folks just don't know what all you miss you missed a good time <laughs> you missed aol dial-up you oh. missed it all oh man that uh uh yeah the dial-up uh, they really don't know how easy they have it. Uh, so I was going through your, your bio before this. You have enough accomplishments in there for probably a dozen people. Yeah. Uh, I, it, yeah. Is there an area of, of, of media that you have not worked in yet? Oh, that's a good question. Is there an area of media I have not worked in yet? Uh... You haven't written for the newspaper yet. I wrote for Birmingham Magazine. Never mind. You, you've done um... it. <laughs> Yeah, I had a column on AL.com and in Birmingham Magazine. I'm trying to think. No, I think I pretty much have it covered. I've done TV and radio and podcasts and writing. And, um, you know, I like to communicate. I like to tell stories. So any venue where a story can be told, you can find me. Right. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, because you got that that career. You started off in, in sports, really, then at ESPN. Yeah, yeah. As a student, and um, you know, I always like to tell this story. So when I went to Alabama, I majored in journalism, and I thought I wanted to either write for the newspaper or be on the news. And so back then, you know, it, you didn't have all these different things you could be. You either right. wrote or talked. Uh, in broadcasting and a friend of mine I would see him at the parties on the weekend but on game day at Alabama he would be walking on the field in a suit and I was like he looks so important and I'm in a student section so I asked him what is it that you do he said it was called at the time they called it sports information now it's called media relations and he was graduating he said why don't you go by the office see if they'll let you work there as a student I found the office again this is pre-google pre everybody on the internet and I went in I said hey I want I want to work here the first two weeks they had me rolling the coins out of the uh, Coke machine. And I didn't know they, this sports information just put me on the field. After two weeks of doing that, showing up on time, having a good attitude, they told me to bring in my social and driver's license. They were gonna put me on payroll. I worked there for the next three years. And when I graduated, I was secondary contact on football as a student and first job was at ESPN. So uh, I was the person on the field, but it started yeah. with rolling those coins at the Coke machine. You gotta start somewhere. <laughs> Got to start somewhere. So I always tell people, if you see somebody doing something kind of cool, just ask them what it is, you know? Yeah. And that, I guess kind of the same thing. Uh, I mean, you weren't rolling, you know, I don't know, maybe they made you do that NBC too, but I mean, you were, <laughs> you started off as a traffic reporter and then you worked your way up to be the lead anchor. Yeah. That's crazy. Right. Um, even though I still have this journalism degree, I'm still paying for, uh, sometimes, uh, <laughs> when they reached out to me, I was living in Atlanta doing stand-up comedy and they said, you know, they had seen me do some guest spots on uh, one of the daytime shows. And they said they wanted to add some personality to the morning show and asked me when I moved back home to do traffic. And at that point, I think I was like 38. I had never done daily live television. It was a fun experiment for me. And I started doing it and got really popular. And then they heard me read one day and they said, wait a minute, she can do the news. So yeah, yeah I got promoted. And um, even though I'm not in that job anymore, I enjoyed the ability to connect with people. It was great to, before my grandma passed away, it was great that she could see me on TV every day and tell people I was her you know, grandbaby. Oh, yeah. So you know, it was definitely uh, a really like full circle moment to come home and get to do that. You can't get the grandparents to understand, uh, like, if you're like, oh, I had a video on the internet that did really well. They're like, oh, that's great. But if you were like, I was on the news. Yeah, I was look on the out. news. That's and big everybody time. knew that that's my grandma. Because my grandma's it. name is Eunice as well. So she, I was easy to brag on. <laughs> when I first, uh, first started writing, like, satirical stuff, and it was on AL.com, and I was telling my grandma about that, and she was like, it's in the paper. And I'm like, no, it's on the, you got to go to the website. It was like I could see her be a deflated. It was like, yeah, it, it needs not, to be in paper. the newspaper. The <laughs> and there's no way I could convince her that this reaches more people than that paper copy of the newspaper. Right. It didn't matter. It was. But see, she can clip the paper copy and save it. And so that's, that's better. Oh, and that's exactly what she wanted to do. I would. Yeah, I know. She probably asked somebody to print that out for her uh, so she could she could put it somewhere. That's, yeah, grandparents. And that'll be us. I don't know what 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 media will come along later, but we'll be like, ah, did you get on the Facebook? And they're like, nobody. Facebook's illegal now. We can't well, get off the like Facebook. That now, right? They're already <laughs> like that with Facebook. Like the cool kids aren't on Facebook anymore. It's like all the boomers and folks like us are on Facebook. I, out of all the social media, I prefer Facebook as far as posting. As far as consuming social media, I'm addicted to TikTok. Oh, TikTok is. Uh, I mean, it's just naturally addictive. It's the way they set right. it up. 
you can lose like five hours without trying and you're just scrolling and scrolling and either you're learning something new you need to buy off Amazon or how to curl your hair or a new dance routine or you're seeing this saddest story or you solving a mystery. I mean, so, but I don't really post on TikTok, but I consume a lot of TikTok. Uh, I'm ready to be done with Facebook, but it's like, it's got a hold of us. So I don't think we'll ever, we, we're, we're too invested in it at this point. I love got Facebook. Us I was late. I was late joining Facebook. I joined Facebook, I think, in 09, 10, something. So I was a little late to the party. No, I know you joined in college. I know. <laughs> that was exactly my college years, yeah. <laughs> well, it started with MySpace, and then and then Facebook came around. But it was like college students only. You had to have that college right. email to get on. And uh, well, those were the days. It was a different world then. Uh, Completely. Because now, with everybody being able to say anything on the internet, Everybody has this platform. Some people are responsible with it. And some people are just like, you know, just excited that they can press send and, and then goes from there. Yeah. It's the, it's brought out the absolute worst in everybody. So that's fun. It's the best place in the world and the worst place in the world all at the same time. That's pretty accurate. Yeah. Uh, so like with all of this stuff going on that you, you are doing now and you've done in the past, like you've been doing stand up. have you been doing stand up the whole time? Like at what point in your life did that begin? Uh, Stand-up started for me about 12 years ago. I would go to comedy shows and I would think the show was funny, but I would drive my friends crazy because I would rewrite folks' jokes in the car on the way home. I'd be like, oh, but if he had said. And so even though I was a publicist working with professional athletes and traveling and having this, you know, uh, sounds like a life full of highlights, I was ultimately bored because... I was someone's plus one, you know, I had a client. That's the only reason I was there. And so one day I just decided, you know, what would happen if I just walked into a room by myself? I wanted to write comedy, but I felt like no one knew I could be funny. So I said, well, let me go be funny. And honestly, from the first moment I ever got on stage, it was the most natural thing I ever did. It was like breathing. Right. And so that's what, that was 12 years ago. And by the time I started becoming a paid comedian, I really felt like this is the biggest racket going because everything I said on stage and they gave me money for, I totally said for free at home. Like <laughs> earlier today, I thought this is amazing. <laughs> so I've always kind of kept comedy in an area where almost I always just say, usually say it's like my crush. You know, it's like when you fall in love, you don't know all the bad things that can happen from being in love. It's just like, you just adore it. It's sweet. And so I keep it there. I'm not trying to marry it. I'm not trying to have kids with it. I never want comedy to be the only thing I do because I want to protect it as a place and a thing I get to do. Sometimes you see comedians who've been doing it 30, 40 years. They're upset because they haven't attained a certain matter, you know, level of success or, or, you know, they think they're funnier than X, Y, Z. And I don't ever want comedy to be that for me. I always want it to be, hey, give me that microphone. I got some crazy stuff to say. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, what I wanted it to be. That, and now yeah. I teach stand-up comedy. So that's a whole new experience um, because it's like people say, well, can you teach somebody to be funny? And the classes I teach, the class is called Find Your Funny, but it's really about figuring out what makes you funny. And right. it's different for every person. And it's not that you need to be a comedian, but it'll make you a more effective, engaging entertainer. Um, you know, whether you're a teacher or a pastor or a trial attorney is in my class, you know, something that makes people say, from a comic standpoint, you have the setup and I got to keep your attention to get to the punchline. Right. And there's so much more to it than I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't do stand-up comedy, but I mean, I do really appreciate it and have, have, have watched a whole lot of it. But I think, a lot of people don't realize that the delivery of it, the cadence, I mean, there's, there's a whole lot of other stuff that goes with it. It's not just jokes. 
Right. Uh, it's, we talk about movement on stage, whether you sit on the stool, how you hold a microphone, pausing, positioning, all those things go towards effective storytelling. And so it's a lot of different things to learn, but again, it's different for every person. So sometimes you might see somebody and they're kind of mimicking somebody else's style or delivery, and it's never going to work for them because it's not true to them. So uh, everybody has a little bit of funny in them. Yeah. I mean, you tell me that everyone can do Gilbert Gottfried. Is that what you're saying? No, no. <laughs> but, you know, um, okay, so if you say Gilbert Garvey, I think of like Bob, Bobcat, Goldthwait, right? Okay, well, yeah, maybe, I don't know who came first, but that's pretty much right. along the same lines, yeah. Right, it was pretty much the same same thing. And if, you, if I was going to update it, I would say Kevin Hart is borderline the same style. <laughs> yeah, he, can, he goes kind of up and down, but he can really reach those high points. Right, and yeah. so... Those are some odd scenarios where we actually let more than one person get away with that yeah. <laughs> back in the day. But really it's about, I talk really fast and I'm very conversational. I'm just like this on stage. So what I found out as I do comedy more and more, and I have comedy mentors who have given me feedback because I talk fast, I talk with my hands, I'm very conversational. My powerful moments on stage are when I pause. So when I'm talking to talking, when I pause, even if someone was eating or doing something else, once they don't hear me rambling, they stop like, wait, why isn't she talking? You right. know, and so it's different things you can do to draw people in, even if it's shutting up. Yeah. Uh, that just gave me flashbacks to elementary school when the teacher would be really quiet. And you're like, oh, we are about to be in so much Exactly. <laughs> you didn't hear a word she said, but once you start hearing her voice, it's like, Now well, she's just staring at us. Uh, so we are, yeah, it's over for us. Um, so doing doing stand up and stuff. I mean, when the pandemic started, uh, I mean that is completely like for months. It there was nothing. I mean, they was just completely shut down. Now now they're kind of back at it with you know it just kind of looks different. I guess you know haven't yeah. been in a comedy club since the start of it. But I you know imagine this everything's all spaced out. There's fewer people in there. Yeah, they're doing a social distancing. They're not seating to capacity. So a right. lot of clubs around the country are, are opening back up. The club here in Birmingham, the Stardome has opened back up. Um, and again, you know, it's for me as a performer, I feel very secure because I'm backstage. I have my own microphone. I tell my jokes and then I go out the back door and go to my car. So we don't do the meet and greets and, you know, all the kissing in the mouth we used to do after the shows. Um, so, um, but it's still an outlet for us who, so I left my job March 20th, 2020 in order to pursue stand-up and other things. And then that's pretty much the same day the world ended. So yeah. for people like me who enjoy audiences and enjoy a crowd, you know, this has been challenging personally, professionally, mentally, spiritually, you know, where you're like, I gotta find something to do. So it's been interesting. Uh, getting creative in the comedy space. I've been doing corporate comedy online where people can invite me to their yeah, was Zooms. I've been doing corporate shows and private shows. And, you know, so you, you just kind of, so, and some of this stuff will carry over once the world opens back up, I believe, that we realize how much more we can do virtually. Well, what's that like uh, doing comedy through Zoom for some of these, uh, some of these groups? Because I is everybody on mute? Saying, it's horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> I was going to ask. It seems like it's, I mean, the, the great thing about performing in front of people is, uh, I mean, you just hear in their laughs. It's the, it's the energy the instant feedback. So uh, what happens with, with comedy by Zoom is you have people on mute and then they have this thing where some people will 
press and unpress the mute to kind of show like clapping, you know? And then sometimes people will unmute to say, <laughs> then they'll mute again. Wow. Um, when, when you have several people on the screen, a good thing that I learned from another comedian I was on the show with is to make it personal. So if you were in a show and, and I, instead of just me rambling, I'm like, cause I know Matt, I see Matt over there, you know, and you kind of have everybody on the edge, like, uh, she's gonna call out something in my background or she's gonna <laughs> say something about me. So you try to figure out how to get that exchange of energy without having an audience in front of you. Did you it's see the- It's different. Did you call someone out in a live, I mean, in a, in a, in a Zoom uh, comedy session? Did you see somebody, like other people turn their cameras off immediately? Like, I'm not, I'm not going to yeah. be next. I'm out. <laughs> that's Yeah. And so then when people do that, that's the equivalent of someone sitting in the front and trying not to make eye contact. <laughs> it's like you stand out. It's like, who is the one person in the room not looking at me? This is the person I must torture. Um, I'm very lighthearted on stage, so I never want to make anyone in the audience feel uncomfortable. So if I do pick on someone in the crowd, it's never to embarrass them or hurt their feelings. It's really to add to the show and, and get them to kind of relax. Because I think a lot of people, that's a fear of theirs is, don't send me to the front. I don't want them to make fun of me. And I think that does take a lot of the fun out. But on Zoom, there's nowhere for you to hide. So right. As soon as you see that I'm talking to different people and then all of a sudden your camera goes out, but now your full name is up. Oh, that's even better. <laughs> I was gonna say it. Yeah, it seems like doing a set on Zoom. It seems it seems a little terrifying, but I would like to do just hire me to do your corporate Zoom roasts. I'll just come in and just roast everybody on on the live stream. We'll just uh, everyone will fun. everyone will feel terrible when we're done. You'll hate me. It'll be and then I'll just so go let me away. Tell you something about the roasting thing because I don't roast people. But let me ask you about this because I just read this. I actually saw it on TikTok. So I don't know if you're familiar with the dating app Bumble. I guess you shouldn't be. But no, as a married man, I should not be. I, <laughs> I know. As a I, know, not, I, know what, I know what exactly. it is. And on the app, but I've never like even seen and, it. But I know woman people has to contact the man first. She has 24 hours for making a connection to contact the man. And the man has 24 hours to contact her back, right? But that's the most awkward thing. Because as a woman, what am I going to say to you first? So I'm usually just like, happy Friday. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm horrible at it, right? But I saw on TikTok, this woman says that when she does the first contact, she gives the guys three choices. She'll say compliment, bad dad joke, or roast. And she lets him pick the first thing she says. Oh. And most of the guys have selected roast yeah and so basically go. she makes fun of something of them in their pictures on their profile or something and i thought what is this roasting thing that's fantastic i'm not into that is she, i mean she'd give it a I shot i only see the beauty and love in your face and how your eyebrows highlight your 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 cranial structure and <laughs> I like how your eyebrows connect in the middle to make one single. All positive. Beautiful. All positive. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, also, I guess one less question here before we really get into some hooting and hollering here. What, uh, you know, doing comedy, doing stand-up now for so long, what, um, and going back and forth, you know, living, you were doing stand-up in Atlanta too, or has uh -huh. it been just Birmingham? So where would, I've seen, it seems to me like there are different hubs big hubs for comedy in the South. Mm -hmm. But but in your opinion, where would you say the capital of of comedy is in the South? Is it would it be Atlanta or is it Nashville has a as a huge um, a hub there? 
Well, you know, most people don't realize the Stardom here in Birmingham or Hoover proper is actually the largest comedy club in the country. So a lot of people don't realize that most of the big names want to come to the Stardom. Most of the people who haven't quite made it dream of performing at the Stardom here in Birmingham. But I would say as far as comedy and getting reps and getting on stage, I would say probably Atlanta because they have so many comedy clubs, you know, whether it's the Punchline or the Improv Theater or Uptown or Laughing Skull, and they have so many clubs that as a comic, you know, you can hit a different club every night and possibly get stage time. Whereas in a Nashville, you have Zanies or Chattanooga, you know, a Memphis, you have Chuckles or the Comedy Catch. They have that that one club that's known as the club. Now, of course, right. some bars and restaurants might have like comedy night, but I'm saying as far as an official comedy club. So I would say in the South, I would probably give it to Atlanta just because they have so many actual dedicated comedy clubs that you can perform in regularly. Yeah, yeah Before the pandemic. Right. True. true. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. I mean, if you're in Atlanta, when I lived in Atlanta before, it was almost overwhelming because as you're trying to get seen and then somebody, you never know who's going to drop in. And because Atlanta is such a hub for people and for film and television production, you never know who might just be sitting in the audience that night or a casting agent or an actor. And they say, Hey, they were really funny. You know, I think we should have them be the warm up comic for our show we're filming here. You know, it's just a lot of different opportunities. And so as a comic there, you feel compelled to try to be somewhere every night, even if it's just kind of hanging around just to meet people, even if you're not scheduled to be on stage. But at some point you start feeling like, I'm on stage every night or I'm out every night. Now I'm in that weird place of I'm not on stage as much as I want to be or need to be. But a lot of it is just because, you know, uh, of the pandemic right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's your favorite place? I mean, I would guess that, I mean, number one would have to be the Stardom since it's like home base. But I mean, outside of that, then what what other club is is probably a second place for... Outside of Stardom, you know, uh, Stand Up Live in Huntsville is another really good club we have here in Alabama. I really enjoyed uh, the Funny Bone in Richmond, Virginia. I had a great time there a couple of years ago. I was there for a week. Um, Zanies is great. I've performed at the Arlington Improv in Texas. So honestly, I tend to not remember the place as much as I remember the crowd, you know, and so um, certain cities, people are conditioned to going to comedy shows. And I think people who go to comedy shows regularly, they have an understanding of laughing out loud. I think sometimes when you go to cities where it's a special occasion or even when you do corporate events and people have never been to a comedy show or a comedy club, they don't know that it's okay for you to guffaw. We want you to say, yeah. (laughs) We don't want you to sit there and laugh quietly and politely like you do right. in church. You know, and so a lot of times those are the awkward shows because you see people smiling <laughs> and nodding. You're like, no, no, let it out. Yeah. So cities where people are used to going to comedy shows, you can feel the energy before they even introduce you and go on stage. That's usually how I can tell what kind of energy the audience has is how loud they are before the music to start the show is, you know? So when you hear that crowd out there and they're just talking over each other, I'm like, okay, they're ready to have a good time. But when you hear them kind of quiet, like they're waiting for a repass, it's like, I'm gonna have to do a lot to draw some extra out of them. But now what I have found is people sit there like their mute button is on and you're like, I can see you and hear you like participate in the moment because right. now everybody's used to sitting there in pajama pants, not being seen or heard. And I'm like, no, no, we're out. Let's go. Oh, it so has you, made us all introverts. Yeah. yeah. You train the audience to come with you. It's, it's a definitely though an exchange of energy. You have to retrain everybody when we get back to, we really to do. The real I don't normal. think nobody knows how to act anymore. 
or wear pants. That's the problem. You know, that's a real thing, Matt. Like I really have to, I'm going to have to retrain my body about underwear because <laughs> I get exhausted, exhausted from having a bra for like more than three hours. And what happens now, I will make my schedule around a bra. So I'm like, okay, well, if I put a bra on Tuesday to run that errand, I need to run all my other errands because I'm not going to put a bra back on for the next three days. So I'm going to have to retrain everything. There's a lot. That's me in, in jeans and a belt right now. I just, I guess the first thing I do is I get home is I take those pants off <laughs> and put on sweatpants. Clothes hurt. It's amazing how clothes hurt now. Buttons hurt. Zippers are inconvenient. Belts. What is this for? Yeah, it's, it's going to be rough for us to retrain our bodies to be snatched again. That's a good idea, though, if I just... <laughs> schedule time out slowly add a minute of, of blue jean and belt time to my schedule i'd get back to normal or, or just stack it i stack a day i had a day i had a doctor's appointment i went to the post office i went to the pharmacy i went and bought dog treats all on one bra wearing so the rest of the weekend i'm free baby i'm free uh, so somebody asked like can you go do this on thursday like i'm sorry tuesday is broad day you have yeah, to get no, in on broad day. i don't have a bra in my schedule on thursday now <laughs> i can't do that Maybe next Tuesday, though. Yeah. <laughs> squeeze you in between post office and public. Quite possibly. Literally, I can <laughs> squeeze you in. <laughs> Pun intended. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I can't do it. I don't do just random underwear moments anymore. No, no. I love it. Uh, so that much for your podcast? Is that too much? Uh, no. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's fine. You know, it's early on, so we're kind of okay. just figuring out where the bar is at. So you can well, just, I'll you keep know, it really low. So the rest of the shows will, we'll go right. wherever. Yeah. We're just yeah. kind of making up as we go along. Uh, <laughs> so the name of the game, hooting holler and hooting, of course, being something that, you know, you're excited about right now. Uh, and then we'll get to hollering in a second. So Eunice, what, uh, what are you hooting about today? Today. You know, I was going to say I'm hooting about some projects I'm working on. I'm really excited about. I'm an author. My first children's book came out last year. My second one is coming out in a couple of months. My two dogs are the stars of my children's book. So I'm kind of hooting about that because that's kind of done. But since you said today, I want to <laughs> change it. Today is I just started dating a new guy. And I'm super excited about it today. Now, I don't know about next week, but right. today... I'm hooting about this guy because I don't hate him yet. Oh. Or maybe I should say he does not hate me yet. Was this, uh, what, did you did you use Bumble to find him? Yes. The only reason, yes. Did you use the roast method? Is that how that worked? No, or? no. I, I, um, so I hesitate to say yes because, yes, we met on Bumble. But he has already told me that he will lie about how we met. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wait um so when he said i'm just telling you right now if anybody ever asked how we met i'm gonna say a mutual friend and all i heard was where are we that someone asked how do we meet and what am i wearing but yes we made on met on bumble no we didn't meet on bumble is there because because that the the uh dating online thing kind of I never experienced that because uh, me and my wife, we went to high school together. We started dating our senior year of high school. So we've been together ever since. Oh gosh. Okay. Uh, so you had a your cell phone in college, dated your wife in high school. That's just the best person ever. I, I just, I, does that make me the, um, you ain't had no problems. <laughs> well, I've had, I've had problems. Uh, 
the, Listen, it's different. So his his reasoning on why he would not want people to know we met on Bumble, and I'm assuming he'll never hear this, right? Um, is he feels it cheapens the seriousness or the connection, you know? So for me, as a single woman who's been single a long time and has done online dating, I feel like it's just another way to meet people. Yeah. So how, whereas some people shop online and love it, and some people are like, oh, I have a hard time finding a good fit when I shop online. It's just shopping online. Same thing. Well, how else would you meet somebody right how now? How else? especially in the pandemic. How else are you meeting people? So I believe that this is a, I'm excited because right now we're about a month and a half in and it's going really well. And so today I am hooting about this guy that I don't hate yet. That's, that's as much as we can do. I'm, I'm about to be 46, never married, never engaged, no kids. My longest, my longest relationship is 18.1 years, but that's with Sprint. But I'm telling you, today, can we do a follow-up in two months and see we if I'm come, still about them? We, we, we'll do that. <laughs> what, what, I mean, so what is, what is, what are your pet peeves then? Like, what is the one thing that he can absolutely not do this so he'll always stay on your good side? What would that be? Okay. So well, he's not, you're not hollering peeve. about him later. My number one pet peeve is men. Um, <laughs> so he's already crossed that hurdle. <laughs> it's, it, he's doomed from the start. He's crossed the hurdle of being a man and having that whole genetic disposition. So beyond that, um, he communicates. He's a writer as well. And so he uses words. And I've never dated someone who communicates as much and as freely as I do. So I'm usually the one who's like, well, let's talk about it. Well, this is what I was thinking. What do you, you know? And he participates in conversations. And so I think that has been something that I have felt that even if we don't agree, we'll at least have a conversation about it. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot to hoot about right there. Yes. A man who knows words. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a rare thing. It is because you know what? A lot of guys are, I call it emotionally constipated because as little boys, they were told, don't cry, don't do, don't do this, don't do this. And so a lot of men have grown up and don't really know how to tell you, Hey, that hurt my feelings or that upset me. And so they just act like everything's okay all the time when a lot of things might not be okay. But instead of communicating to you that, Hey, that's not, that's not okay with me. They'll just ghost you. They'll just disappear. They just, you know, and so you're like, okay, was it something I said? So with this guy, I've even, I've said something to him that upset him once and he didn't call me for like three days and I was like hey I didn't realize the last time I talked to you was the last time I was going to talk to you yeah (laughs) and he said well you said such and such and I once he said what I said which is what I said I see how he took it as that like I didn't want to talk to him I'm like I said that but that's not what I meant right and so because he shared why he hadn't called we were able to communicate and pick it back up and that's why I'm hooting today this is good yeah Everybody that's listening, let's all say a private little prayer <laughs> that Eunice can get off these streets, amen. <laughs> it's time, amen. It's time. The, the show to emotions thing is such a, I mean, I, I don't know if it's just everywhere. I know mean, to an extent it's probably everywhere, but it just seems especially here in the South, like it's like that, that uh, you know, boys, men don't cry. Horrible. I, I still... Uh, I am a sucker for crying at the movies and I, I will, do. I will still like watch a movie and it's, uh, I remember what was that Coco, that Disney movie. Have you seen that? I haven't because I cry at every Disney movie. Okay. Me, well, it'll get Robinsons. you. It got me. <laughs> it got me. We'll meet the Robinsons got it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. But Coco, 
has got that ending that's just so sweet. Uh, but uh, man, it tore me up. And I like to hear that, Matt. That lets me know that you uh, have been able to maintain this relationship since high school because you have emotions. And that's the thing that I think a lot of men don't realize that we are looking for. Women are always accused of being emotional creatures. Men are very emotional. They just don't have an outlet because they weren't allowed to express it growing up. And so where does it go? You know, these feelings. So the guy I'm dating, he was a little depressed around the holidays. And um, and he shared that he gets a little down around the holidays. And when I tell you, I was so excited, not that he was depressed, but that he communicated that he was depressed. You know what I was saying? I was yeah. like, yes, he's depressed. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> You had to shift gears real back to being, yeah. Right, because another guy would just disappear around the holidays. You're thinking, wow, he was with his other family or he was that, you know, this guy communicated. Yeah, you know, and, and that happens to a lot of people, whether it's family issues or, you know, distance. This year was especially challenging uh, with the pandemic. And so I was just happy that he communicated he was depressed. I really didn't care what he was depressed about. <laughs> that ain't none of my problem. You did, uh, you gotta... I like that he will tell me you know, if something's bothering him or, and, but also when he's happy. Yeah. This is uh, a rare catch here. This is, <gasps> it's quite the guy. Did I already jinx it? Did I already jinx it all? I don't, I don't know. Uh, well, you know, again, well, I will keep everyone, you posted. everyone say a prayer for you. Yes. Yes. I will keep you posted on this one though. So uh, shifting gears now to, <laughs> to hollering. What, what's got Eunice frustrated, angry, you know, any, anything out there. Okay. Getting under your I'm skin. Glad, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> you know, I just feel like collectively as a country, as a people, I feel like we don't show up to be as smart as we can be. And what I'm going to narrow it down to right now is this vaccination rollout. I'm just frustrated that everyone doesn't realize just get a deep freezer in the CVS and the Walgreens and let me go get my shot. Right. So I can go back outside and play. Now I know it's more nuanced and difficult than that, but sometimes I feel like that we just aren't using the most common sense ideas on things. Um, so that's what I, I'm usually hollering like, how hard could it be to send me a $2,000 check? What are y'all <laughs> talking about? You know? So anything that has to do with the pandemic and what has not happened yet uh, regardless of Congress and senators and House of Representatives. And I'm just kind of over all of it. I'm over all of it. I want us to all get better. I want us all to be safe. I want us to still wear a mask. I want us to be able to go get the vaccine. Everybody, not just if you happen to sit outside the hospital and they got some left over. Um, and I'm just ready to get back outside and play. Yes. I tell you, it's, been, it's been incredibly frustrating for a year now, just about, yeah. to see how difficult it can be for us to get the things that we really need uh in a time of crisis but we can get all kinds of things we don't so easily like explain to me how mcdonald's can roll out these new happy meal toys every month but we can't get toilet paper sometimes i don't understand how some people are better i mean clearly we've got the wrong people running the country exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, uh it's, yeah. like, it's just it's somebody has it figured out. I, now I've heard that they're now talking to Amazon about something. I'm like, yes, this makes sense. Amazon has everyone's address. Yes. Send me a little freezer, but I would give myself the vaccine. Just send it to the house. Y'all got my address. Send it. 
<laughs> but it's got to be a way that we can partner as a country with whoever it is, corporations, government officials or entities or individuals to say, hey, if everybody has to have this, there's got to be a way for us to do it. And yeah. uh, that, that, that's frustrating to me that I think of how many doses of of vaccine has already gone to waste just because it has to be frozen at a certain temperature and somebody wasn't there to get it and that's somebody's life that could have been saved you know so i just want us to just let's get it let's get it let's go the corporate things make perfect sense and i remember people were making that joke early on. i was like hey we should just let chick-fil-a distribute the vaccines and i was like I, I, are you joking because that seems like a uh, an ideal perfect. situation Perfection. I mean, it really is something more so. I don't think the government is skilled in customer service, but companies and corporations are. Um, Chick-fil-A is a wonderful example. They have a wonderful corporate climate and culture that services people effectively and efficiently. My first job was at McDonald's and McDonald's has a whole system of McDoing things with McWashing powder and McMop solution and McDishwashing liquid. And, you know, it's like they have systems in place for anybody to be able to come in and work here and do the same thing. Anybody to go through the drive through and have the same experience. And I think the government is not a customer service based entity. Yes. So no. Ask somebody how to deal with me and then give me my vaccine. Ask Zaxby's. If they said Zaxby's, what we gave y'all vaccines with every Zach, big Zax man. <laughs> I'm gonna have me a peach sprite and a vaccine. That at sounds... least two days out the week. I'm gonna have both doses. I mean, let's let let us go ahead and line up all of these corporations that want to take part in it. Then let us, the consumer, decide which ones that we should be using. Because you know what? Yeah, let's give Amazon a shot. But, you know, Dollar General, I don't know. Uh, I don't trust them. Dollar General sells steaks. Let them have the vaccine. Come on. <laughs> let, them, let them have it. They sell the steaks, they can carry the vaccine. And they um, got the freezers. Dollar General has the freezers. They, they do have the freezers. <laughs> uh, I didn't think Big about Lots that. has freezers right up front. Go, I will go into Big Lots, buy some batteries right there at the front, some potato chips, and let me get a pack of that Moderna vaccine. <laughs> It really should have been, I mean, especially like here in Alabama, we know that, you know, you need to get the elderly their shots. Well, let's give them all the jacks. They'll get them all done before 10 in the morning. They'll have an old person in Alabama will be vaccinated on the same day before noon. Yeah. A a biscuit and a shot. If we can all come together, the best and brightest minds and say, we are in an absolute crisis we've never been in before. People can't work. People are losing homes. People are dying. People are sick. Where do you, everybody goes somewhere. Let me get my shot from there. They should have asked us. That was their problem. They should have asked us, Matt. They didn't no ask us. That's what I'm hollering about. Ask me. How to fix this situation. They don't ask me things like this. Not things mm. that matter. They don't ask me. So they get no. what they get. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, I want to thank you again for coming on. You got uh, you got the children's book that is out now. Yes. Um, and uh, can I tell you a little bit about my children's? Go book? for it. So my book is called Sugar Loves Bella's Books, and I have a dog named Sugar and a dog named Bella, and they're very different dogs. And so the stories are just about how they are so different, but they're best friends. And I'm hoping that people will buy the book for their young people, and little people will learn early on that you don't have to be the same thing to love and enjoy each other. And it's re- the second book is about how all of their differences makes it more fun for them to play together because they have different gifts 
and talents that they share with each other. Yeah. So that's my goal is to use my puppy dogs and their true life stories. Every story that I write in the Sugar Loves Bella books are based on true stories that they have gone through. And I just write them up. And um, so I'm really excited about that because I feel like it's my little bit of way to try to make the world a better place. And then I also have um, another book that came out last year called 10 Things Your Mama Never Told You, But Mine Did, mm -hmm. Unconventional Wisdom to Navigate a World That Cares Nothing About You and Your Feelings. And it's 10 chapters of things that my mom said to me growing up that I think served me well. Chapter one is you are so very special, but remember, you ain't special. So the whole <laughs> book is like that. That's great. <laughs> and I have another book coming out this year I'm writing right now. It's called I Might Not Be a Great Girlfriend. When you know you're a great catch, but you struggle once you've been caught. <laughs> so find me someone, Matt. Read a book. Take a picture. Write it down. Where can we where can we get those books at? Uh, Amazon. Um, is where you can get those. Or Same place. You hopefully, you can get a vaccine. Com. Yeah. Yeah. Either one. Amazon or EuniceElliott.com. Yeah. Uh, and if anybody wants to follow you out there, if they're not already, where can they find Jed on the on social I'm media? I'm Eunice Elliott on all social media. I use my actual government name. I <laughs> don't remember Eunice Elliott. If you remember Eunice, I'm the one that does not have obituary next to it on Google. I'm like one of the last active duty Eunices. <laughs> so my grandma died in 2015. So I'm like, if you put in Eunice, and if it has like a new post and it don't say obituary, yeah. it is me. It's not legacy horizon, some other funeral name. Right, as long as you don't see that, you're good. As long as you don't see that, it's me. I promise you it's me. It's like, um, I don't have to pay extra for like Google search. It's like, Eunice. <laughs> you own it. You got this one. You got your first, your first page, baby. I bet you be on that first page. I will never know what that's like as a Matt Mitchell. As a, I, I told you, I know at least 12. I am, this is the new, this name is like John Smith of the 1800s. It is. It is, it is very unoriginal, Matt Mitchell. I know. My it parents is. almost named me Sebastian. That would have stood out. Definitely. It would have been me yeah, and a, a Disney totally character. Career too. You would be like under the sea or something. Yeah, I feel like it should be a chef with that name. <laughs> chef, fashion designer, uh, hairstylist, model, artiste. Something, something creative. I mean, something, well, you're already in a creative something, space. Something, something good. Something creative, yeah. Uh, uh, any, anything else going on? Uh, check out stardome.com if you want to look into taking stand-up comedy classes. You don't have to want to be a comedian. You just have to want to be a more confident, effective communicator, whatever you do. Like I said, this class, I got a computer programmer, uh, a writer, a trial attorney. I have one guy in my class who just wants to get better at English. He's from Brazil. So he's oh, just that's trying to awesome. just work on his English. So, um, but yeah, if you find me anywhere, you can find all the other stuff I'm doing. I'm around. I'm around. That's it. But don't uh, come find me if you haven't already said a silent prayer for my hooting <laughs> section now. You got to be praying for the hooting because then when you meet me, I'm going to be in a better mood because I've been hooting. See what I'm saying? I got yeah. you. Way, uh, thank you again for coming. If uh, you know, We'll have to get, get you back on here later and hopefully the gentleman is not in, in the hollering section. Oh, everybody cross your fingers. We're doing okay right now. We're going to see. <laughs> <laughs>